0: Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of People First. And boy, is it going to be a doozy because my guest this week is Gary Ridge, who is the CEO and chairman of the WD40 company. Now, all of you, I'm sure, have a can of WD40 somewhere in your home or somewhere based on a story I'm remembering fixing my bike with my dad the smell is evocative, the whole can design is evocative, and we've got Gary here. So as CEO and chairman of the WD40 company, Gary is responsible, well, for all things, whether it's operations and relationships. And I was reading, actually, Gary, your um, 20, latest annual report where you talk about the tribe. And I know I want to dive deeper in that, But in the meantime, Gary, welcome to People First.
0: G'day, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Look, I've got to give you my official introduction. Is that okay?
1: Do it, do it. Go on, do I need to do a drum roll or anything?
0: No, 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 it's fine. G'day, I'm Gary Ridge. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD40 company.
1: I can't wait to write that down and see whether that acronym actually actually then spells a word too. But I love that, (laughs) consciously incompetent, probably wrong. Okay, love it, because I'm going to ask you about vulnerability. But I'm actually going to start with maybe an easy question. I want your origin story, Gary, when you were a wee lad. So you're still at elementary school, primary school in Australia, and the teacher's going, Gary, Gary, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer?
0: I don't actually remember what my answer was, <laughs> to be honest. But I do, I can tell you something really funny um, in Australia where I grew up, and you know it's great we've got an Aussie and a, a I'm going to call you a poem. Is that okay?
1: That is fine. I'm sure I can come up with something back at you later on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but anyhow. An Aussie and an English person on the on the line, but um, we we went to vocational guidance, you know, and they did kind of a test where they at the end of it they they said this is what you're best adapted to for your future career, and and they said I was going to be a linesman, like a telephone linesman. Now you know why that's so silly because I hate heights, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're twins. You hate heights, so they were, they'd got you pigeonholed as a linesman. Okay.
0: I know. Maybe. all
1: right well I suppose you'd have got a good view from up there um, I uh, pretty impressive job. so what was the pivot point then from directed linesman to actually the career that ended up in unfolding for you
0: well you know I, I think it all started I I was the uh, the youngest of four there was a, a quite a difference between my next uh, brother and I 12 years so um, so I, I kind of grew up in an adult household, but but I just loved interaction. You know, I was worked on the back of a milk truck when I was six years old. I sold papers. I I was always out there doing things. My mom, who lived to be ninety nine years and nine months old, she only passed away eight years ago. Yeah, so mom and dad lived through the the Great Depression and all that sort of stuff. So we grew up with a, an attitude of get out there and be part of something. Um, so I, I was working at a local sports store and a hardware store. And I really got a, a, a passion at that time for the interaction of people. And I loved it. Um, and I went from there and I started my true working career in informally in retail. I was a management trainee with a large department store group in Australia. And mm-hmm. I was doing their management trainee course. So that was kind of the path that led me um, to, you know, the next step and the next step and the next step. I've only ever applied for one job in my life. Which was milk cart? No, I didn't apply for that. But, <laughs> I, but that was my first job at, at, the depart, at a department store called Walton's in Australia, and each step after that I was invited to go and do something else.
1: So that's interesting because you talk there on the influence of your parents. You talk there about always being interested in the interaction. So what role have relationships played in your career and success to date?
0: Well, you know, today, when I look back, um, I, I realised they have played a bigger role than I ever thought because, you know, we are social animals, human beings. We want to be connected and, um, you know, I think that that understanding is so important. Uh, in that, if we treat people with respect and dignity, and you know, I read something about the of the Dalai Lama's years ago, and he said, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And I just love that. Uh, um, you know, if ever I could have one wish, I really would like to know what I know today. Uh, And I've learned it through scar tissue and learning moments and be able to apply it for a longer period of time than I probably have left. So, um, But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to amplify it for the next 30 or 40 years, however long I'm, I'm given the opportunity to do that.
1: So tell me a little bit about that scar tissue. What's one of the leadership lessons you've had to learn the hard way?
0: Oh, the three most important words I've ever learned in my life. I don't know. And getting comfortable, and getting comfortable with them, you know. I think as a as a younger leader, um, you know, vulnerability doesn't come naturally. You know, you want to prove yourself. You know, you will always want to be right. You know, your ego tends to play a higher, you know, higher part of the, of your behavior than it should. And um, just getting comfortable with those three words, I don't know, has been one of the biggest gifts I've hopefully given myself.
1: Does that get easier as you get more senior? I mean, as the CEO and chairman of a global organisation, is the expectation that you do know? Tell me more about not.
0: that. I hope not, um, because it's not possible to know everything. What, it's, what it is, what is important is to be able to um, be in a situation where you can set other people's minds and, and knowledge free. And uh, does it get easier? It has become easier for me. Uh, I'm not sure why other than probably I don't care anymore that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I Maybe early on I cared that I didn't know and I thought someone would not think highly mm-hmm. on me. But right now I don't really care if I don't know. I don't care if I don't know. But I tell you what, if it's, if it's important enough, I'll, someone will help me find out.
1: For me, uh, in the new book that I have coming out later this year, You, Me, We, we talk about courage and vulnerability. And what you're describing there in a saying, I don't know, it requires both. It requires courage to admit that gap and potential vulnerability as to how yeah. others might react. So how do you demonstrate that as a leader where others may arrive in with their own fears of, well, I can't say to Gary, I don't know, because I'm his big cheese of this that and the other so how do you how do you demonstrate courage and vulnerability as a senior leader and what advice do you have for others as to how we can step into that
0: well one of the things i think that's really paid a big dividend to us is is looking at failure as learning we you know i'm going to make a statement here that you're going to go wow i have never made a mistake in my life wow What I have have had is millions of learning moments. So what we say, a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to to help all people. So at at the company, at WD-40 Company, we don't make mistakes, we have learning moments. And those learning moments create curiosity, they reduce fear, um, and I think just being vulnerable and a great example of vulnerability or, 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 or just, you know, being there is when COVID hit, you know, suddenly we all had to be, become more competent at being good at virtual and using mm-hmm. virtual tools. So we, we had installed all this wonderful technology at the WD-40 company. And I was forever frustrated that we weren't using it to what I saw its greatest potential was. And the reason was fear. Mm -hmm. people were were afraid and then COVID hit foot the switches is hit it became compulsory so i purposely during a number of um early you know uh, virtual meetings i purposely had something happen i screwed up you know I, i just because i wanted to show people it's okay i mean it's okay and um and people need to to get comfortable with that you know i i say that you know, candor in an organization is very important. And and I, I describe it as no lying, no faking, no hiding. I believe most people don't lie. I believe people fake and hide because of fear. And if you can take that fear away, so people aren't faking and hiding, you get the real person.
1: I'm writing that down because the, the fourth element of the ally mindset that we talk about in You, Me, We is candor and debate. And it's that, Mythical. Well, it's how do you create a culture where people feel able to speak up? Because as a leader, it's career limiting for me if people aren't, but potentially as the bearer of bad news for somebody who's junior with the wrong leadership style, it is career limiting for them if they do. And so I love this idea of removing fear. So how did you go about doing that at WD40 Company?
0: Well, number one, we say we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really important. Number two is we took the word manager out of the business. We don't have managers. We have coaches. And the number one responsibility of a coach is not to run on the field and play the game. That's what the micromanager does. You know, that's what this guy does.
1: This is Al.
0: If I introduce you to Al.
1: Okay. No, you haven't. Please. Nice to meet you, Al, I think. So you tell don't
0: me like, about you, Al. You, don't, you, you do not like Al. Okay. Al, is, Al is the soul-sucking CEO or the soul-sucking leader. And Al has a number of attributes that suck the soul out of culture. He must always be right. He's a micromanager. He's corporate royalty. He hates feedback. You know, he, he doesn't like to learn. Uh, he's all of these things. That's the manager side. Of it. We have coaches. And what's the role of a coach? Well, you, you being from the UK originally and me being from Australia, we've probably watched a couple of rugby games in our time. Oh, no. we've, never, we've never seen the coach of a rugby team actually run onto the field and play the game. Mm-hmm. A great coach spends their time on the sideline and in the locker room, a lot of time in the locker room. Secondly, you never see the great coach actually standing on the podium and taking the prize. It's the team that does that. But a micromanaging, soul-sucking leader is running onto the field all the time, wanting to play the game, so he's, he's proving to the team that they, he doesn't trust them. And when the time comes to take the prize, he wants to be up on the podium. So removing fear, getting people to be comfortable says, I'm not going to play your game, but what I want to do is help you step into the best version of your personal self.
1: So you had an owl avatar there. Do you have a coach manager equivalent?
0: I do, but it's not in Andre. double form.
1: <laughs>
0: it's in a graphic form.
1: Yeah, fair. So as I said at the beginning, I, I read through the latest annual report and that whole human, bring your human to work, people first, the importance of relationships comes through right from page one and from your opening letter. And you talk about WD-40 Company and our tribe equals our success. And it goes on to say, we are a tribe. And as a tribe, we're here for each other as much as we're here for the company. And then it goes on. Now, I know you've been with WD-40 Company for a number of years. How would you describe the culture when you arrived? And if you're now at our tribe equals our success, how did you affect and how did the organization recognize and embrace that change because that can be a big gap as i think about my own career and the whole idea of bringing a human to work certainly when i started in finance was a big no-no so tell me about that journey and what that means for wd 40 company
0: sure so yeah i've been there a while in fact 35 years um and the culture when I joined was great. It was okay for the company at that time. The company back then was a lot smaller than it is. It was based in the US. It had very little business outside of the US. Uh, and basically, you could get everybody in a, a room and communicate with them. Mm. However, that wasn't our dream. Our dream was to take the blue and yellow can with a little red top to the world. And you, to do that, we had to create a culture where we set people free. And... I was fortunate enough when I was given the privilege to lead the company to understand that I I didn't know how to do it. So here I am, you know, 20 some years ago, uh, appointed CEO of a U.S. public company. I'd been in the United States for three years. And what's this Aussie guy know about Mm -hmm. doing anything? So I went back to school. And I went to the University of San Diego. I did a master's degree in leadership. That's where I met my dear friend and my mentor, Dr. Ken Blanchard, the one-minute mm-hmm. manager. Ken's 82 years old now. Uh, I play nine holes of golf with him most Wednesday afternoons. I'm just blessed to have his, he in my life as a mentor. But what I learned there was the power of servant leadership.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: we said, what are the elements you need in an organisation to move from what was kind of an insular organisation into an expansive organisation? And the first thing you need needed was to be a people-first organisation. So we said, number one, it's all about the people. Number two was purpose. Did we have a real reason to get up every day? And interestingly enough, in your opening, opening remarks, you mentioned about using WD-40 on your bicycle years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. So, our purpose, if you ask us what our purpose is, we're in the memories business. Huh. We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes and workshops of the world, which is a much more engaging purpose than saying I'm here to stop
1: squeaks. So, <laughs> no. so, so That's kind of good too when the squeak is driving one nuts and it's like, exactly. oh, for heaven's sake. So the so purpose, yeah. the
0: next thing was values. We said what are the hierarchical set of values that will protect people and set them free. Mm -hmm. And then finally we said, how do you create a high will of the people? Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, said, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Duh. So what do we need to do? We need to create a culture where there is pleasure in the job, which then led into tribes, because the, one of the biggest desires we have as human beings is to belong. Mm-hmm. Everybody who is with us today has left a company, an event, or even a relationship because they didn't feel like they belong. So we said, "What is the what is the core of belonging in humanity?" It was tribes. Everybody grew up years right. ago within a tribe. And what was the purpose of a tribe? A group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. So we said we're going to have a tribe, our number one attribute of our tribe, our promise to each other is a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. Because if we do that, they'll feel safe. If they feel safe, they'll feel like they belong. If they feel like they belong, there'll be a high will of the people. If there's a high will of the people and a reasonable strategy, over time, we'll build an enduring business. And that's really the story.
1: I love that. So I'm curious, in terms of the impact of the pandemic, and you touched on this, in terms of the Now, I am assuming across WD-40, you've got time and distance because you're working across geographies and time zones. But you've also now got people who are working through the technology that they're actually using, people who are on site in three dimensions. How do you nurture or how have you had to redefine what that sense of belonging feels like or how we create that sense of connection?
0: Great question in that one of the reasons we've done so well through these horrible times, and I tell you, I I, I I, wish COVID never came. I wish it never came. However, there has been some benefits from the learning we got to, to have to adapt to a new environment. You know, I, in in times of real and great need, people can pivot around fear. And, mm-hmm. and, and there was a lot of fear, so we've pivoted around it. So how have we done that? Well, number one is... When COVID hit, we said, we are going to live our tribal promise, a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. So how do we continue that connection? So we we did a lot of stuff um, and continue to do a lot to make sure that that connection is, 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 is staying in place. One of the most beautiful things I saw was our French team. We have a lot of people in France and, you know, the French love their food and wine and, mm-hmm. and they were missing each other. So you know, they had a virtual dinner where each French member was cooking a dinner in their home and they're all Mm -hmm. live virtually. They're all sharing their cooking techniques, you know, drinking their French beer, which is champagne, and enjoying (laughs) each other. Uh So so there was a lot. Now, here's something really, really interesting. Halfway through COVID, uh, I said, let's go and do a cultural check-in. We felt we were that we we had our cultural glue still in place. We felt that we weren't draining our cultural equity. So we went out and we did a midterm employee feedback survey. And the numbers came back, and as you know, we've got employee engagement at about 93%. One number that came back that I went, wow, 98% of our people right in the middle of COVID said, I am excited about my future at this company. And I went, I said, wow, okay, why? Uh We went back and asked why. And they said, as a tribe, we kept our promise of a group of people that came together to protect and feed each other. And if we can get through this together, we can get through anything together. So, you know, there's a big discussion now about, you know, this whole movement of, of employment, the, you know, what do they call it? The great resignation. Yes yeah i'm i'm calling it the great escape (laughs) people people are escaping from toxic cultures because they're saying i'm not putting up with this anymore you know Mm -hmm. once upon a time i would go to work and i didn't really like it but i went home and my life was okay during covid life hasn't been okay and neither has this toxic environment so they're saying i'm not going to do this anymore Mm -hmm. i'm going to find a place where I'm treated with respect and dignity, where I know I can I can be myself, where I can be creative, where all of these things can happen, and um,
1: it's powerful. And you're right because when, when we evacuated the office in March 2020, I mean it's all blur's day, it all feels the same right now. Many people were planning for it's going to be two weeks, and then it yes. was well oh, I'll be done by the summer. It'll be done by the holidays. And of course, now we're looking up and two years later, the companies and leaders that haven't been as thoughtful and diligent about reinventing or recalibrating that experience are now feeling the pain and hence the great resignation. Uh, As we look, though, to an indefinite future of this, though. What I'm hearing a lot and I'm experiencing too, is that low level stress and anxiety and work was the one thing I could control. So I ended up working longer hours. Hey, I saved a commute. It was bed, desk, bed. So how are you helping people to recalibrate when work should happen? Just because I can get here in 10 steps doesn't mean I should start earlier. But also the balance between the haves and the have-nots, because in, in your environment, you've got manufacturing operations where it needs to be done in person. You no doubt have corporate roles that can be done from home. So as a tribe, there's two parts of that. How do you help as an individual make sure I'm getting that balance? And also as an organization, that the tribe doesn't split into the haves and have-nots or the can and cannots
0: great question and i think it's really firstly going at and being very deliberate about we want people to treat themselves well during these times and you know as i said we've never been an organization that's been one of corporate royalty mm-hmm. um you know we we treat each other um, with respect and dignity um, we also looked at this you know thing about work from home and and we said work from home is 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 not right. It's work from where. So yeah. our poll, yeah. our our philosophy that we put out to our people is we don't you know unless you have to be at a certain place doing something, we don't care where you work from. You use our values in the organisation. You're you're all responsible people to decide where you have to work from, and what you have to do to get the job done, and we'll support you around that. So. You know, I, I realised at one stage, I well, work from where? you know, I, I've worked on an aeroplane, I've worked in a hotel room, I've worked on mm-hmm. a beach, I've worked on a train, I've worked in the office, and it happens to so many people. So, again, m- deliberately not creating these clusters of, you know, the privileged and the not privileged is, is something that, that, that's really important to us.
1: So as you talk with other leaders across industries, are you noticing a shift in both the conversation and the appetite for this people first tribe perspective?
0: Um, I think there's a, there's a, what I would say, I think there's a heightened curiosity in most cases. I would hope that COVID slapped a lot of leaders up the side of the head. You know, <laughs> um, you know BlackRock, um, the the, letter, the CEO letter from BlackRock just came out a, a few weeks ago, and it, you know the opening couple of pages, Larry thinks says, you know, culture is so important in an organisation now, and people who organisations that have strong cultures are doing better than others. Duh. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I'm hopeful, um, and that 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 there is a greater awareness of. Our job is to create pleasure in the job. Now, a lot of people say pleasure in the job. Does that mean the prisoners run the prison? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you have an organisation that is number one, recognises the power of the people, has a true purpose, a great set of values dedicated to learning, and then our tribal philosophy, the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. And Mm -hmm. here's the example of that. When we first started putting the tribe culture together, I studied some of the early behaviours of the Indigenous Australians and the Fijian Islanders, and one of the things that became very clear to me, for a tribe to exist and grow over time, it had to be a learning culture. So if we were to turn back the clock and observe a group of Indigenous Australians thousands of years ago, Uh, at a tribal meeting, what would the the, the tribal leader be doing? He'd be teaching the tribe members how to throw a boomerang. Why? Because if you couldn't throw a boomerang, your chances of survival were low because it was Mm -hmm. the tool of survival. So what's the number one responsibility of a tribal leader, a tribal coach, is to be a learner and a teacher. So, again, that's something that's really important to the organisation.
1: I love this. Thank you, Gary. Now, I know that you've shared some of your leadership insights Um, in a book that you co-authored with Ken Blanchard. You mentioned him earlier on. Tell us more about that so that those listening in, they can obviously follow you on the interwebs, but also potentially get their hands on the book and learn more.
0: Yeah, the book that Ken and I wrote is called uh, Helping People Win at Work, a business philosophy called We're Not Going to Mark Your Paper, We're Going to Help You Get an A. And the whole book came from a comment that Ken made when he was my professor. He said, when I was at university teaching at a a university, I would give out the final paper at the beginning of the class and the academic and administration would say, what the hell are you doing, Blanchard, giving out the final paper? Mm -hmm. And he said, not only am I giving out the final paper, but what am I going to do for the next three semesters? I'm going to help people learn the answers. And what became very clear to me is in business, we're not, we don't do that. You know, we we have a stupid review system where we talk to people at the end of the year instead of coaching them along the way. So the whole book is about really how do you create an environment where you're not marking people's papers, you're helping them get A's. Because life is not about some stupid distribution chart. It's about helping people get A's. So that's the book we wrote. And then I just put another book out just recently called Leadership, leading, uh, Leadership Lessons Through COVID. Um, and it's um, it's, a, it's a number of uh, you know, articles combined about what we've learned of going through COVID, so uh, th- leadership lessons of, of leading a thriving company through COVID.
1: I'm going to be ordering that as soon as we hang up here. Gary, you truly are an inspiration and a role model. Well, you and the whole tribe at WD40 who've embraced this. So thank you for sharing your time and insights with everybody here on People First today.
0: My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at infoskyteam.com. At That's S K Y E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today, and remember business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.